actually working with brands that surf industry brands as well that I've, I've, I've used all my life and it's, it's nothing but amazing. I get up every day and go, this is bonkers that I'm working with these brands that I've always loved. I am a technically kind of quite geeky person. And now applying all that learning from all those years and then and mixing it all together into some amazing sort of outcome. to the Brave Bold Brilliant Podcast. I'm here today with Richie Jones. Now, Richie is the CEO of Vast. I'm trying to make sure I say it correctly. Um, but Richie, lovely to see you. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, we're going to have such a Just before we press record, we were chatting about all the various connections and things that we're going to be um, talking about. So I know it's going to be a really rich conversation. It's going to be hugely helpful for people listening. So, um, yeah, let's get going, Richard. Tell us about you and where life started, where you are now, because you've had an interesting journey, haven't you, along the way? Yes. Yeah, it's been a a varied journey, but um, lots of learnings for sure. So, um, yeah, I'm uh, yeah, we're based in Bristol, UK. Uh, and we're a, we're a business that service um, brands from all over the world, basically, but predominantly um, coming from uh, West Coast US into mainland Europe. Um, but th- that's the that's what I do now. But I've been on a bit of a journey to get to that. So if you can imagine uh, a university, uh, which was quite a while ago now, um, I was the internet was in its infancy, so no one was using the World Wide Web, um, and I learned a way in my spare time when I was at uni to code websites, basically. And actually then learned some of the basic metrics of business as well at that point, where a good understanding of how you can mark up some of these fairly basic things, um, you can make quite a lot of cash. So I actually exited uni with a degree, uh, a proper, not probably the best one I could have got, but with, you know, 20K in the bank, which is quite unusual for a student. So it was really, really good. But it's, it's the early days of the internet. And then it went on from that actually then formed the early stages of my first business, which was a traditional, I say traditional because they're still brand new, a digital agency called Yucca. And um, that was more of a design and build. Uh, and it's, again, early days of the internet. Um, work created a really great team, again, in Bristol to, to build that out. But we were actually working with quite a lot of travel brands. Um, we used to do, say, P&O Cruises website and um, other brands, quite a lot in the sort of holiday park sector as well. And then towards my, that actually went for a good uh, 10 years when we sold that business to a large um, AIM-listed network agency. Um I was in that network agency for about seven, eight months and realized that, you know, the corporate side of things in terms of the difference between being an entrepreneur versus this is what it feels like to have been bought and just keeping things like timesheets, which are really alien to me. Those kind of things were really, uh, you know, I, I basically got approached by one of the larger um, travel business, um, the private actually backed business that, to go and be their CMO. So I did that, uh, a company called Park Resorts, brilliant time on their board for two years. Uh, went through a, a big £360 million uh, pound refinance with those guys, saw that through, which is really, really good. And then, interestingly, I, I then um, spotted the kind of call of maybe more back into a more of a core digital role. So the amazing thing about the CMO role was I was able to obviously create the brand of Part Resource and in, in, in using more traditional media types like TV. And because I come from a very digital background, it was fascinating to actually learn TV, print advertising their, their big thing is they've got a big deal with the sun for example so learning those kind of traditional metrics and how you can turn those audiences into digital audiences and actually make them accountable from a media spend point of view and also take a very traditional board on the journey to, to digitizing was actually an amazing experience so that was really good and then I actually switched um into core kind of um retail at that point and I went to run um I was group head of um Edinburgh Willowmill EWM their kind of entire kind of digital sort of portfolio. So out of their 600 million pounds um, portfolio of brands, I was running all of their digital kind of assets, which was, which was fun. There's a lot of brands. Mm. Um, then again, I was, uh, I sound like I've been headhunting a lot, but I was um, into another <laughs> brand um, called Salt Rock, which is a smaller kind of Devon-based lifestyle brand. And again, these guys had a big uh, bricks and mortar footprint, very traditional, but we're looking for e-commerce and, and getting that kind of whole omni-channel play. Did that again for two, about two and a half years. And then at that point, I spotted the combination of all these experiences that brands weren't getting this direct-to-consumer experience, right? Because either there was a skills gap, um, a, a lack of appetite to invest the million pounds plus that you need to, to be able to, um, to fund a, a decent team. Um, and also, there were a bunch of agencies out there. that This is the problem I have with, with agencies back then. I'm, I'm much better now. I'm much better behaved when I talk about agencies. <laughs> um, I just I just I just find them quite disingenuous sometimes in terms of some of the stats 
And when you're presenting those disingenuous data at board level, you can obviously come and start quite quickly. You've got a very savvy CFO or, or whatever. So the inspiration for Vast was incredible, actually, in terms of it came about from the weaknesses of the agency model combined with this massive skill, skills gap that exists in brands themselves. And then meanwhile, over here, you've got Amazon and, and Zalando and all these guys using advanced data techniques to really accelerate their revenue and bring revenue in much quicker because they're de-risking um, you know, their, their buys and their stock profiles. So what we're creating with us is this kind of hybrid combination. We're not an agency, we're a general extension of how the brand operates, but what brands love about it is it's a low capital and low cost entry to new markets for them. Mm. So we can make a US brand into market, uh, very low capital, it's performance-based, and they just plug into our, our already-made portfolio of um platforms and also our brilliant team as well i have to say i couldn't do any of this without our brilliant team i should always caveat that it's this this whole thing all, all i did was founded it and we created a team and the team what they are now delivering is absolutely phenomenal so hats off to them if any of them are listening um but i think the amazing thing now is with vast it's, it's that kind of feeling the other thing as well is i'm actually working with brands that i believe in so we only work with brands that have a long-term brand story that we can work with for at least three years and there's a long play in it. So we don't, we're not, um, the big challenge with e-commerce, we all know is that discount is a very strong and dominant feature. We don't use that as a kind of a, a ongoing, a, a major tactic. There's a bit of discount to clear end of season, but other than that, it's very much about um, creating long-term brand equity. And the, and the brands love that element to how we talk about what we do. And the only way you can do that is by creating tribes of engaged audiences that are into your brand and, that actually, from a personal point of view, really resonates with me. Um, I literally can see a shot there. There's my bike helmet. You know, I'm actually working with brands that surf industry brands as well that I've, I've, I've used all my life. And it's it's nothing but amazing. I get up every day and go, this is bonkers. I'm working with these brands that I've always loved. And now we're applying, because I am a I am a technically kind of quite geeky person. And now applying all that learning from all those years and then and mixing it all together into some amazing sort of outcomes. And literally in California two weeks ago, surfing with one of our biggest brands the ceo lent me a board and i'm there just having one of those moments on the california beach going how's this happen this is this is just <laughs> nuts you know so yeah <laughs> that's, kind of, that's kind of how, how, we, how we ended up where we are at the moment we, we're, we're we're just about to open um dubai uh and we're just about to go into the us so if you imagine we're at the moment we're quite a mere focus but there's gonna be this whole piece now where we're gonna be offering um the middle east wider MENA region and also the whole um US side of things as well as a capability. So we do have we do have a couple of brands in Australia as well. So it is turning into a global concern, which is again beyond my wildest dreams already, which is really exciting. Yeah, oh fantastic. Listen, there's loads in here. I was like furiously thinking, oh my gosh, I'm gonna I want to I want to learn more about all these different aspects. I mean it sounds to me, Richie, that you're you're at a stage of your kind of business life and career where you're exactly where you're meant to be you know almost like all roads have led you to this point that you know I can see the energy I can feel it I can you know that you're loving what you're doing and all of those experiences and knowledge that you've picked up along the way is is kind of all the ingredients that you've got in this fabulous cake that you're making now which is which is really wonderful to see so I think that's that's a good lesson actually for everyone that when we move from one you know, part of our career or business life to another, you're not starting again. You know, you bring, it's a layering and layering. And I think very often we forget that so much of the, of what we know is transferable into a new world, isn't it? And that's exactly yeah, yeah. You know, what you've done really with what you're creating now. And, and, and Richard, just wanted to kind of understand a little bit more around, um, the fast moving pace of digital, really, because I think with organizations, with brands, sometimes people are, are almost a bit fearful of it because it's it seems a bit of a black art, you know, and oh my gosh, where do I start? And last time I've got used to sort of one aspect of digital and tech, it's all moved on and, and I'm, I'm behind. So how do you, I suppose two questions here. One, keep yourself uh, really at the cutting edge of what's going on in terms of tech and, and trends and new new initiatives, et cetera. But how do you bring those big brands that you work with, well, all sides of brands, with you on that journey so that they don't get intimidated, so that they can keep ahead of the game and not become outdated too fast? So just talk yeah. about that whole area for me, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really good point. I mean, the digital has a reputation, like you say, as being this black art. And I think there's a there's a, there's a definite sort of generational element to that as well, where you've got the senior C-suite who, I mean, I witnessed it um, on, the, on the private equity board where I, I witnessed the, the advent of iPhone 
move around the boards. The, the first, I remember sitting down, I was the youngest on the board by far, and sitting down and they were just all Blackberries. All the yeah. Blackberries, right? So I was the only one with an iPhone. By the time I finished at that business, everyone had iPhone. And it's really interesting how they, because the iPhone experience, and you start using apps, that that um, uh, customer and consumer centricity of making frictionless contract transactions so simple and mm. delighting people in effect, they the penny sort of dropped. But um, so one of the ways I've done it in the past is, and, and even now, is you explain it from the perce- perception of the consumer. That's the most important thing and how it can be brand enhancing and, and actually creating in the same way like our brands we work with, they've got beautiful products. We try and explain to them that we want to basically create the same beautiful experience from a product point of view. So you are actually in effect creating an extension of your product. That's the most important thing. So that's the, the user experience way is a really good way of explaining it to people who don't fully get it. But the other one as well is I just go really hard on commercials. So, and, and talk to them in the C-suite language. So we talk really early with our brands in, in P&L terminology, and we rarely touch on some of the more traditional acronyms associated with digital um, until we're a bit further down the road and maybe talking with the specialist departments. And we deliberately do that because ultimately these brands just want to know um, what's the, what's the not just even return on investment, what is the bottom line doing? Yeah. So, and we've created in our business that tool that blends all these very disparate data sets. So um, Google Analytics, um, Meta, Facebook, Instagram, all those guys, we blend that with the hard commercial data so they can actually see in real time using our vast BI tool exactly what's going on in terms of return and, and um, you know, challenges on margin if there are any, usually there aren't, I should add. So it's it's um, all those kind of things. It's very commercial-led. And I think mm-hmm. that, that's the, the massive learning for me because when I first sort of switched over from a pure digital role, I realize now, wow, I was so green when I was agency side, just talking about some of these convert, yeah, these these stats without context of yeah. what you know, could be doing. And I think I had this big epiphany when I went through um the wider kind of thing at Parvasorts in particular. And that was the moment where it's just you just gotta just relate these in, in business terms um and, and explain what what the plan is. And I think the the cool thing about how we work as well is they get a reassurance in terms of we've got We've got a roadmap that is uh, linked to our core business um, value, which is called Relentless R&D. So mm. our team is quite excited. They are constantly looking for new ways of driving innovation. And that feeds into our product product roadmap. And so if we have a learning on one of our brands over here you know, called Yeti or whatever, um, or that increases revenue via a certain channel, we can easily apply that learning to another brand. So our brands love that uplift effect of um, how we learn across our brands. And I think so one of my big methods of keeping um, up to date from a digital point of view is very much uh, learning from the team and what's on the bleeding edge. I've done the classic kind of um, Branson approach of employing people that are better than me. And yeah. You know, always. Um, and that's that's paid off in spades. So I learned a huge amount from my existing team. And then I, and then I do just do, I do podcasts a lot as in listen to them. Um I do quite a lot on less so on Twitter now, but it's more probably pick up quite a lot on Instagram because it's quite brand centric, but increasingly LinkedIn as well is another great source. Um, just learning, learning that way. And I think one of the things we, we we're going into now in a much bigger way is the whole Web three uh, side of things. Big emerging market. We we've got to have a solution for our brands. But what is so good is we partner with um, the likes of Shopify, and Shopify obviously got much bigger R and D development budgets. So we just piggyback their beaters when they come out. And we can then test them with certain brands if they want to try it out, basically. So I think that innovation piece and the last bit to blend into all of this is, is um, so I've got a, because I'm a surfer, mountain biking, I've got that kind of defaulted love of the natural world. I you know, care about the planet. That's always been part of me. But now I've been able to bring it to the fore because we're going for B Corp this year. And, yeah. it, and it's amazing being able to blend that in with this whole tech angle because the playbook way we engage with our brands is going, right, have you, have you thought about changing out your single use on your packaging? And we can support them on that simple little games like that and that that's where it goes kind of full circle which has been really great mm, well there's so much in here you know and, and and i think you know you made a point around r and d and 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 always it being innovate innovative and having the right people on the team that are always edgy and kind of hungry for for, for growth and you know i think every day is a school day <laughs> right yeah you know? it really is yeah. And we are all we're all just work in progress till the day we die, you know. And and I think that if you have that that hunger and that thirst to for you know for knowledge, if you like, and for always wanting to to surround yourself with people and 
and also sectors that are, are in growth mode and want to innovate, then that's a really good thing. And I think a lot of organizations, and, and this is where I can see a real benefit for, for, for Vast and what you guys do is when you're in a big corporate and you will have some big organizations that you're working with, you'll have some smaller organizations as well. I appreciate that. But one of the biggest challenges for a large organization, and I certainly look back to my days at, you know, as the CEO of the travel division at Saga and the ND of the emerging markets at TUI, et cetera, when you have hundreds of thousands of people on your team, it is very hard to get that agility, that innovation, because it's like trying to turn a tanker. You know, the systems, the processes, especially if you're a listed business, you know, it's so tricky with some of this stuff that the opportunity to truly innovate, fail, learn, test and learn and all this kind of stuff is quite difficult in those big organizations. So by partnering with you, I guess you're able to bring that into those organizations in a way that is almost like a safe, de-risked approach to innovation, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And it's interesting because we've got some of the US friends we work with, they're going, we want to take your learnings you've shown us in the Europe region and apply that to our US business. Mm. So we've got, got situations where our you know, websites, that, one of the big things about websites is page load, right? So you've got to have a real fast page load. It affects Google rank, affects the user experience. We are pretty consistently at usually about yeah. that seconds page load on our homepage. Most of our US brands are at eight. So they are so intrigued by how we're doing it. And we openly share the knowledge. We openly share things like our A-B testing, our query, um, just, just all these insights we've got from our roadmap that we're willing to share with them. And I think the, the interesting ones, some of the biggest list of businesses now are really intrigued by how we're blending our data sets. And I think if you imagine, and that's where we're able to give them Amazon-esque power uh, when, when I say Amazon, yes, I mean, mean that the you know, spotting the early signals that their products is going to set out, we can now provide that for them, which is really amazing. Yeah. The fact that, like, honestly, it's fantastic. And, and and I want to talk about B Corp status because it's something that I, I you know, I work with a number of organizations that either have already been B, B Corp certified or are on the journey. Yep. Uh, so it's a great company, a travel business actually called Byway. And the, the CEO there, Kat Jones, you know, this is a startup. It's only really been going two, three years. And they're all about, it's a travel business, they're all about the, the journey being the experience, you know, so overland, slow travel, uh, yep. so obviously, you know, impacts on the environment, et cetera, which for a, a startup travel business during a global pandemic to have achieved B Corp is, is really phenomenal, you know, for, for what is. they've done. Powerful, very powerful, because it's not easy. And I mean, most recently, it was Elemis that announced that they had B Corp status, and Elemis is owned by Lockitan, uh, which I'm sure you know. So it was quite interesting to see what they put out in terms of their PR and kind of media around their journey to B Corp and how it links intrinsically with their core values, et cetera. So can you explain for someone that's listening, they may not know what B Corp is. I do, but but people listening may not. And then if you could maybe just bring that to life a little bit around what are the various elements of it that, that kind of you're particularly interested in? Because it's I think it's more and more... Um, a key deciding factor where consumers spend their money you know yep. the, the organizations yes the brand yes the product but actually coming back to the core purpose and why and b corp for me is intrinsically linked with that so yep. do you want to just explain b corp in a bit more a bit more detail richie and also yep. kind of your experience if you don't mind yeah no sure so i mean the uk um particular is, is we've got over a thousand b corp certified businesses and the certification you go yep. through is there's a, a minimum score of 80 out of 200. And uh, that index is actually really hard. If you imagine each point is then uh, divided down into sub points, 0.001s at time, you know, it's really hard to get this, this, this rating. Basically, it's a, um, a certification that is gives you a rating out of 200 for a combination of um, purpose, people, planet, profit. That's the key thing. So and profit's the last component of it, which is interesting. So obviously you need profit to create the purpose. But fundamentally, what, what uh, B Corp enables a business to do is really evidence, um, not just the environment environmental uh, strategy they've got, which is the, often the perception of B Corp is purely an environmental piece. There's actually a big piece around ethics um, and supply chain, uh, all these kind of key pillars that um, how you treat your people, gender mix, all these key things, you know, about what, how are you as a business? And the key thing is transparent as well, actually operating. And, it, and I think, as you say, the consumer is now more and more savvy and they're, they're uh, basically 
they're voting with their their wallet with their purchase decisions about which brands they're going to buy from and also which suppliers in our case because if you imagine these what's happening with, with the market where we work is that if you imagine you've got this top tier the consumer making making a decision where well, i want to go i'm going to buy from b corps if i can um then what if you imagine those brands are then looking the first thing they look for is their suppliers to then start complying because they have to with this this like increased level of, of kind of um transparency and so on which is what we we were already kind of been in front of that if that makes sense but i think there's been a couple of deals we've done recently where it felt like we'd only just got through the door before the b corp kind of requirement came in with some of those and these are really big players these are sort of 10 billion plus us businesses you know listed so i think um the b corp piece is very much uh, it should mention it's by uh, the organization is b labs which uh, um based out of, based out of london they they got um yeah big global sort of following patagonia one of the early ones Patagonia scores up around, I think they're up around 140. So it's still a long way from 200. So actually get, get that holy grail is the real challenge. But as we know, it's a big chat, a big trend. Purpose-led businesses is a big trend. I think it's happening at the same time as this whole mental health um, focus or mental fitness, as we're starting to call it. I think the, the, all these movements are coming together as parts where people actually want to buy from brands they believe in and can tell an evidence in them on the road to, to amazing things. And I think so we've been certifying now for about six months. It's a long, long process because you've got to change corporate governance. You've got your rights, right all the way through to your articles of association as a business, but then right the way through to having strategies on how you're going to deliver what you're promising. And the key thing is, um, if you're lucky enough to get your certification a year later, in the same way that any other kind of uh, certification works, because you should mention we're also ISO certified, so we're very familiar with these kind of certs. Um, you will then come back and be benchmarked. How have you done full year? And there's examples like Brewdog, for example, that lost their B Corp. And they and we've all seen uh, the effect of, um, say, some of the fallout from their PR and how they treated some of their team, you know, obviously, allegedly. That's been very instrumental in how that B Corp was lost. So it's, it's a real interesting, that's probably one of the most high profile ones. But then you've got other B Corps that are more traditional, like the Patagonias of this world, Brand I Adore, Finisterre, for example, down in Cornwall, big surf brand. Um, they're just great examples of like how they're using B Corp and the governance it gives you to then uh, and accountability to then actually turn your, your business into purpose-led. And what we've done is we, as a business, we've come up with three pillars uh, that we have to deliver against. Uh, the first one is your, is your classic sustainability. And I, I'm going to say classic because it feels like we've been talking about you know, <laughs> classic for quite a few years now. You know, um, That's the real simple conversation where we say to brands, let's just reduce your single-use plastic wastage, um, can we can we get solar panels on our roof of our offices? Can we get more team members riding bikes? You know, all those really obvious environmental pieces that we can we can change and do quite effectively. Even our um, toilet bowl provider, we've changed to a B Corp, for example. So, just simple changes like that. That's fairly straightforward. The next one, though, which is much more interesting, is um, for me in, in terms of our, our responsibilities, is, is ethical advertising. So, we spend many millions on behalf of our brands with Meta, Facebook, Instagram, Mattel. Google and what we're trying to do and what we're devising with our brands is coming up with an ethical policy of how to advertise simple things like not, not targeting underage audiences, which is easy to do by accident. Um, simple things like not chasing people for um, sales messaging. Um, the, the, a, a consumer is in their worst, almost in their worst kind of um, likely to demonstrate the worst behavior of buying a product they don't need when a brand is on sale. I mean, how many times have we all gone in and bought a jacket that we were looking at we were being good because we didn't need it. And then suddenly you see a whopping 50 off and you bought it and bosh, you didn't need it, you know? So this is a really common um, scenario. And with ethical advertising, we're also trying to build in the number of times we actually chase that consumer around the internet as well. And I think with the advent of the privacy savvy consumer, which we saw very much driven by Apple with the release of iOS 14, um, that was, you know, when, when uh, you know, Apple iPhone asked you not to track app, that piece there is a, is a real kind of moment in, in terms of the mass market consumer being aware of how their data is being used. So we think ethical advertising is, is good from an ethics point of view, but also good from a brand perception point of view. A brand mm. can say, well, if we're B Corp, we don't think it's right that we're chasing you around the internet this many times. You're clearly, you're clearly not in the market. We should just stop chasing you this many times, basically, because it can be six times or 11 times, whatever it is. Um, the last pillar, which is partly related uh, to the ethical advertising side of things is, um, data in retail we we hold huge data on our consumers behaving, um, all the way through to um, whether they have a great health and they bought from us 
all those kind of things. And but right the way through to um, what the markdown for price mix is. So we can tell how much of a brand's revenue has been gained through sale. So again, we can set ourselves KPIs with our brands to say, right, next year we want to reduce your markdown percentage by two or three percent, which will lead to this many less people buying stuff they don't need. And it's a really tricky conversation, especially when you've got aggressive West Coast US brands who've done huge numbers in the US, 100, 100 million plus in the US, whatever it is. I mean, yeah, Yeti at 1.2 billion. If you're trying to say to them year on year, hey, how about we trim 1% off your year on year growth? But it means you're going to have less product goes to landfill, less people buying your product who don't need it. And actually, because we're all about building brand equity, um, it, we were kind of doing it anyway. We were trying to avoid sale when we could. So I think um, these discussions are really healthy ones to have with brands. And I think for us, the conversation is incumbent on the brand going, yeah, okay, that's a good idea. Because we can't, we're, all we're doing is running their strategy and they're actually implementing the strategy as well. So it's a really healthy conversation. I feel like we're kind of starting to shape something in the industry. And I think because we're building software that facilitates this as well, my hope is that it's something that will just be built into the retail operating system going forward where people will start to question, because the consumer is, the consumer is starting to go, why are you spending so much with Meta or Facebook or whoever it is, you know? So it's, um yeah, that, that's how we're approaching B Corp. And I think we we should go, we might we might start certification um, before the end of this year. We might go early next year because next year we'll definitely get it. This year, because it's on last year financial, and we didn't have a great environmental office last year, it's, it's pulling our number down. So yeah. We're around about, around about 72. By next year, we're about 89, so it won't be an issue at all. But it's, uh, it's certainly fun and games, that's for sure. Yeah, and look, it's fantastic. Thank you for doing such a thorough kind of interpretation of it for people listening, because it is powerful stuff. But like you say, it's not easy to get. And, and you know, scarcity is important, because if it was easy, then it loses its value and credibility. So, you know, there's a reason why it's so robust, uh, because these are the best companies that are actually representing all of those core, core aspects. And you made an interesting point, actually, around sort of sales and discounting and, and the business side of it. And there is a wonderful book, and I'm sure you've read it, called uh, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. And that book is all around be a purpose, really. And if you understand your why and you're a purpose-led brand where people are raving fans and they will almost buy from you regardless of the price to a certain degree, actually, yep. you, you know, you, you don't have to rely on manipulations, which is what discounting is and sales are. It's a manipulation. Yep. Uh, so, you know, I think it's a whole interesting discussion that you're very much at the centre of with the brands that you're able to influence and guide and support but under that umbrella of B Corp so yeah, yeah I, I have no doubt you're going to get it Richie clearly you're on it all over it and yeah, uh, yeah well definitely and the, the amazing the, the, the thing that makes me super happy about it as well is how engaged our team is mm. and actually because we've been talking about it as well I mean I I actually um uh went out to uh, the Himalayas last year um and because we were we're talking we we're actually overflowing some of our development work to Pakistan in Islamabad so I was over there meeting our partners over there and stuff and um having that experience witnessing the glacial retreat in the Himalayas and seeing climate change on such a scale it's literally just before those floods mm. had a real profound effect on me and it actually made me even more of a this business can't just be about profit we've got to have this we've got to be we've got this purpose-led angle and what I love is seeing how engaged the team are with it and especially our new starters so our new starters are seeing our stuff we're putting out on on um yeah LinkedIn Instagram and so on our videos about what we're doing and so on and they're just so pumped with the mission they're, they're genuinely going, this is epic. We can change something here in retail, which has a horrendous a horrendous reputation at times for some of the environmental things especially. But like you say, the psychological tactics that has made e-commerce and social media and all these things so, so effective and so addictive with these algorithms, it's, it's just having that conscious discussion. And the consumer is so aware of it, especially the younger ones, of how their data is manipulating them and they actually laugh at some of the brands as well. They're actually, it's like this cognizant aware of, aware that they're all aware of how they're being manipulated. So if you go there and go, look, we're just down the line. You know, we are, this is how we roll as a brand. Um, we're not just talking about similar use plastic. We're talking about how we're, how we're going to, how we potentially are changing your buying habits. You know, let's have the discussion. And I think it's, I think it's a really important one for, yeah. for future generations, especially. Yeah, definitely. And and also, you know, I think there's there is a war on talent. I know it sounds a little bit sort of you could say, well, you're being overdramatic, Jeanette, but I, I genuinely believe there is a war on talent. And there's a, there's a few things happening here around 
you know, changes that have happened on the back of a global pandemic where people have probably reassessed what, what's important for their lives and they've got used to working in a slightly different way. So are also more demanding around flexibility, hybrid working, etc. There are there are people that have moved on from industries that they were in for many years and have maybe taken alternative second, third jobs. So they've got a more of a flexible approach. And of course, we're on the back of, of Brexit as well. So, you know, if I think about the, the, the travel, leisure, hospitality sector that, that I've spent most of my career in, you know, it's a real issue actually getting people into 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 roles to, to do yep. jobs. So I think as well, it's not just around the consumer choosing, but people are deciding who they want to work for and how do they want to work and you know the world has shifted significantly uh and and i think you know having that purpose and that love for what you're doing the mission you're going to attract talent and hopefully you'll retain the talent and they'll have great careers with you and have a variety and a a fulfilling time while that while they're with vast and uh are you finding it challenging to to access kind of people and at the pace because you you said you've got 32 people on the team richard but you are on this big growth journey yeah and yeah, you know, there's the international aspect where you going into dubai etc so how is that playing out in terms of resources are you finding that you your your resources are slowing you down because you just cannot hire people as fast as you need them or how's it playing out for you yeah because because we all know obviously with the the classic thing with resources as well is that you then have that lag once the resources in while they're training up while they're understanding processes especially because we're mm. very on what we're doing so yeah it, it, it definitely has been a challenge we're quite lucky, uh, the, the whole Bristol angle to what we're doing, there's a lot of people wanting to exit London post-pandemic. We've got like a, a surfing wave pool here in Bristol, the only one in Europe, or anyone in sorry, UK, that's attracting a lot of great talent down here as a result of that, which is a real kind of moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being built in Manchester, obviously, you know, but I know it's been a while you've been there, but anyway, the, um, but the, the interesting thing is, is that that is bringing more talent than expecting London level uh, salaries, of course, which is yeah. a challenge. But but it's it's part of the discussion around our development resources a real challenge for us. So hence the trip to Pakistan last year. We've got some great partners out there now where we can overflow. I mean, our business intelligence tool, um, Vast BI, is it, we 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 work with guys out there on that. But they they've got a completely different shaped population pyramid to to the UK, and uh, they've got a, a burgeoning graduate talent pool out there that we can just tap into. And there's mm. a lot doing that especially in retail so i think um our trade and sort of more traditional e-commerce stuff is still uh, near shore but increasingly we're going to be putting more and more offshore that enables us to kind of scale without without the limits and i think we're doing multiple projects at the same time now as well, which wasn't always the case we weren't able to do that because we were resource constrained that's mm. definitely been a big challenge um but i think the yeah the, we're quite lucky because we the brands we work with are so good like they're, they're really nice brands so people being able to work with these really stunning brands outside of London is quite a rare thing. Yeah, 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 definitely. No, I think isn't there something that a saying where people people join brands and leave pe- leave people? So you know, you join a brand if you have a terrible boss. It's normally that's the reason you're moving on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Anyway, but uh, yeah. no, it's fascinating. And you know, I mean, obviously, Richard, you bring together this quite unique blend of entrepreneurial kind of spirit and that agility that you've got with a deep expertise in terms of your functional expertise area of digital tech etc combined with a a a direct experience of of being in those corporate roles when you were in the cmo role and private equity so you're quite an interesting blend as as a person Um, where did the entrepreneurial side of things come from you know because that's sort of where you started when you were starting your first business was that something from the from the family side of things or you know where where did that come from do you think my my dad my dad was in the city so that was always intriguing to hear what he was up to in the city and so on but I I just well also um my mum and dad were we, we were quite lucky with my upbringing and stuff and that we you know we lived in a nice area and all that kind of stuff but they were always very tight in terms of giving money to me which I really respect and I'm trying to do the same in my family now yeah and I think, um because of that I had a paper round at the, fir- the youngest age I possibly could but within a year i would taken on six paper rounds and subcontracted it to other kids in, in the street and was, <laughs> I had that little scheme going for a good five or six years and I got I got wonderfully busted by the guy running the shop one morning. He was like, it was like, hold on a minute. What, how can you do all these? And it was, you know, a learning, you know, managed stick expectation. Yeah. 
So, so that, that, that little empire came crashing down. And they had another one as well. Um, there used to be this uh, sweetener called Candorel Spoonful. I don't know if you remember it. I yes. That at school, we used to call it like a sweets, like, you know, some, I didn't realize this innocuous looking powder would get me into such trouble because people thought I was selling something else and I was completely naive to what it could have been, you know. So that was a, another moment. Um, the margin on that was phenomenal, by the way, I have to say. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I did that for a good while as well. So I mean, I was really, yeah, it was quite through my, and I had this very expensive habit, which was mountain biking. I still do do it. I mean, back then it was buying expensive exotic parts again from the US and they would be like 200 quid, which in 1980s money or 19, early 90s money is is big, expensive things, mm-hmm. small parts we buy. So I was lucky that um, the entrepreneurial bit, that's when it all kind of came about. I always had a techie side. I used to build a lot of electronics things. I used to do things like magnetize my parents' cutlery as a practical joke. So he'd have his, his big banking dinners he'd have at home. They'd come home, all the cutlery would stick together. All that sort of stuff. It was just great to bring all the tech together, you know? So it's it's weird how um, the entrepreneurial stuff in my early years has all come together. And I think I I just really, what I really loved about digital especially is that innovation, the disruption side to it. And it continues to, to, to disrupt. And it's, um, we haven't even seen the half of it even now. It's mm. still flux and change and COVID obviously accelerated that. But almost the post-COVID world is like, well, what happens next? You know, are we every people who are going back in store. So what does digital play in that world as well? You know, so that innovation and uh, there's the term creative destruction is is something I've been very intrigued by all along. And I think there's a there's definitely um, I was yeah you know, my music taste is a reflection of uh, you know the, the kind of punk rock and alternative rock all through the '90s is very much a reflection of how you can do innovation and kind of smash stuff up and bring it, build it back together in a much better way. And, and um, digital has been a great facilitator of that for me. So I think, I'm not sure what I would have done if digital hadn't come about. I think um, if I'd have been around in the 60s or something, I'm not sure what, it, what I'd, I'd have done really. Well, you probably would have been a crazy musician, maybe. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that could be the answer. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it is, it is a fascinating, fascinating perspective. But like you say, I mean, you were hustling at a very early age and, and clearly your your parents, you know, taught you some good money lessons about, you, you know, you've got to work hard. No one gives you something for nothing and the value yeah. of money and, and actually sort of understanding that. And I think, you know, it's often something that is not taught in schools. Even today, I think the standard curriculum in schools is pretty sharp actually in terms of you know just managing a budget and being financially aware and you know a lot of the business aspects just they're just not there are they you know know? absolutely and I think you're lucky if you do have influences in your life early on, like you did with your parents, to to show you there is another way. You know, there's a, there's a, there's, a, there's some core principles here around success and money and how you can put that to good use and this trading aspect as opposed to just go learn a profession, have a job, and, and that's a job for life. You know, nothing wrong with that if that's the, the path someone wants to go to, but there's lots of different ways to, to kind of be successful and fulfilled, I think, which is great. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you know, Richie, someone someone looking at you might go, oh, it's all right for Richie. It's all right for him. He's got a fan down. What an amazing career he's had. And here he is, his business owner, and everything's wonderful, isn't it? You know, um, but I'm sure you've had your highs and lows uh, through the journey. Can you can you share with us some of the some of the more challenging times or where things haven't gone so well for you through this journey that have made you either learn a lot or you've had to dig deep or you know things have maybe been quite dark at certain times. You know, because it isn't easy. Yeah, yeah. To, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, and I think so much in business, especially entrepreneurial stuff, is often linked to our to the economic cycle, right? So if you're on the wrong side of that economic cycle, um, touch wood, you know, who knows what's happening right now. But anyway, um, we, I would, the first business I had, um, we were very much, uh, had big risk exposed to that 2008 slowdown when that banking crash happened, Lehman Brothers and all that sort of stuff. So when that happened, that was quite tough where you've got to downsize a business, take a, all that, all of that, you know, blood, sweat, and tears. You put that business to grow it to the team size you got it to, and the offer. It's like we we felt like we'd finally got something that was innovative in market right at that point that economic slowdown happens, and there's nothing you can do, and that and that's a really challenging point as well. Um, I think there was a, a a big lesson as well as in terms of like when you work with people super closely, especially when you get with your senior team or your your absolute go to. They are in effect your family in terms of you know you need to have them by your side. And I think um, that first business, I also learned very quickly about you've got to be aligned as a senior leadership team, as a board, you have to be aligned. And there's one person in particular who's a very close friend that I fell out with. 
And then sadly, a few years later, he actually passed away and we never reconciled our differences and stuff. And it's it's one of those big learnings that um, for me has had a big influence on me. And there's also another big catalyst of actually me setting Vast up in terms of going, look, let's just use your assets and your capabilities. You don't be constrained by the corporate environment. Just go out again and do do what you do. And the good things happen, you know, and I think that was a big, a big kind of learning for me. I think, um, yeah, and I think, I think as well, the, the first business, I was a single guy at the time. I could work every hour that I was available and I did. And that was to the detriment of myself at times. And I think, you know, the outlets weren't ideal at times back then. And, you know, I was biking and surfing back then, but probably going a bit too far on the social side, you know. So this time around, I've got um, family, two children, awesome wife, who let me facilitate this amazing business um, with, again, my amazing team. Um, and it's just so different because you've got that balance. And, you, you know, I cannot work on a Saturday because I've got to go to ballet and I've got to go to swimming and it, all these really healthy things that stop you from just and, and actually that 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 perspective and that distance i've loved sharing my children the um they they, they ask me oh, what brands are you seeing when you're going to la or you know and they created their own brands they're designing stuff already they want to they want to send it to factory and i'm like you're you're, you're eight what are you doing you know so it, it's it's amazing you know so just sharing this kind of experience so i i like to hopefully think that we've sort of raised in the next level of entrepreneurs and all the rest of it that's the, the kind of fun bit but yeah, I mean that—that's probably the the single, yeah, darkest moment on, on the business side. I think that I've had to face for sure. Mm. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing because, as I say, I think sometimes um, people judge, don't they? They either judge you by, you know, what they see as a uh, success, or they judge yeah. you by a failure. And what they have absolutely no idea around is is the struggles along the way to get to the success, or the the wins that you've had along the way to what may ultimately be a, a business that fails, but actually that's all learning and there will have been lots yeah. of, you know, people people do judge, don't they? And and actually I think it's great to be able to share, you know, in a in a real way what it's like. Um because yeah. it isn't easy, but you know, perseverance, picking something that you really love, that you can be passionate about, you know, leaving a legacy and, and leaving the world in a better place than what we came into it as. Uh, yeah, is yeah. And, you that know, legacy talk- point is the one that, that's really kept with the B Corp stuff is the bit I love because I, I feel like there's a bit, I mean, it's not like a, we say legacy sounds very grandiose, doesn't it? But it's more the, what can we influence and make a change that's going to really help things? Because we're in, we're up against it from a time point of view with this climate situation. Yeah. So the more we can do now, the sooner. Um, if that's a small legacy that I managed to facilitate, the better, really, definitely. Yeah, and that's it. And and you know, for for everyone, I would encourage anyone listening to think about, you know, what is your legacy? For for some people, it's it's as simple as I don't know, setting their kids up to have more financial freedom or opportunities than they ha- had. For other people, it's a bigger purpose that could be around, you know, global warming or whatever, you know. But I think. Yeah, it's it's nice to know that you're contributing something that is going to still be there after you've gone, and yeah, can be yeah. carried carried forward by future generations. Whether it's through a you know a birth line, a bloodline, or whether it's through an impact of people you've influenced. I think as we get older, we become more aware of that. I know I have become a lot more aware of that. And um, and if I can help one person, then that's fantastic. I'm, I'm yeah. pleased with that, you know. So uh, it doesn't all have to be grandiose, but all those little things that we can all, if we can all just do 1% better, then yep. how, how good would that be? You know, it would yeah, make a massive absolutely. impact. So, um, so yeah. And, and Richard, before we, I could chat to you all day, seriously, <laughs> we're about to do a follow-up interview. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the, you know, you mentioned, about the family and your two wonderful children and your great wife um, and you talked a bit more around you know being a, being a working dad and wanting to have quality family time but at the same time you know you're traveling a lot you're growing the business you know you've got a lot of pressures um does that does does the elusive balance exist do you think or, or is it is it all just a kind of you know a nice theory but it doesn't actually play out in yeah how, I, I, how do you manage it all yeah, it's it's definitely challenging, really open. It's really difficult at times. Um, and the elusive balance, does it exist? I think I think it it can do, but you really have to work at it. So um end of this podcast, I'm getting in my van, and I'm actually going surfing. So I'm, I literally will surf for an hour, but then I'll do calls the rest of the day. And that one hour surfing is the difference between me feeling like I'm connected with what I am as a person, but then makes me even better at the calls, you know? So I think it's it's just being really honest with yourself working out number one thing is looking after yourself from a fitness point of view i I always say that it helps your mental fitness helps your physical fitness as well and i think um i think if you do that the balance can exist but there's moments where it fluxes so 
if I have to do a business trip and I'm away for two weeks, that's obviously massively skewing the family and the support I can give. And then I look to then balance that back. Um, Easter holidays is coming up, so I'll take time off and you know, re- rebalance it that way. So it's really challenging, but I think especially at the start of the business. So the hours I was putting in at the beginning, still putting in considerable time, but back then it was really, really grueling. And um, the intensity of the, the focus you have to have Managing cash flow, managing all the teams, yeah, everything you've got to every last little thing you've got to be on and just just making sure that nothing is going to slip. That's really intense. And it does get better as the business gets better because you can get more senior talent obviously in that support you more. But I think at the beginning it's especially hard. And I think that's maybe what a lot of people perhaps don't always appreciate that it's going to be. And also in your darkest hour, that's when you prove yourself. And that's those are those moments where you just that's that resilience and experience but just just don't listen to anything or anyone who's saying you can't do this because you can you know you just got to keep that focus and that's the that's the big thing I've I've always sort of lived and lived and died by really yeah no that's great advice and I love what you said there Rich you know there's a big piece around put your own oxygen mask on first um because if if you're not in good shape then you know you you can't be the best version of yourself for it for for those you care about for your team and you know your clients etc and very often that's the thing that slips with yep. people when they're under pressure. I mean, I know myself, if I've not done my, you know, exercise training, I've not done my meditation in the morning, I'm just not on my game. Not the same. Yep. I'm not yep. the same. So I know myself. I'm very aware of that. And it is difficult. But even if it's just a case of, I don't know, for some people, it might be as simple as a quick 10-minute walk around the block. Whatever it is for you, you don't have to be an elite athlete here, but but really take care of yourself. And, and yep. I think that that's really good advice because otherwise – the crash can be pretty full on um, when you when you just explode because we're all human beings at the end of the day. So we, we're full of emotions and, and energy. Yep. And if it's in the wrong place, then it can really be damaging, can't it? So I yeah. think that's and great. That, that movement point, even like you say, 10 minutes, so I do like yoga type um, flexibility stuff. Doing that is so interesting. Doing that at the start of the day, game changer. Mm-hmm. absolutely so whatever it is find your thing find something that's gonna 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 be good for you um and i think that is that is amazing advice and you know rich you're talking about advice uh you'll have had loads over the years and i'm sure some of it has been amazing some of it may be less so amazing um but when you think of, of sort of some really good advice that you've had um you know what what jumps out to you but the best bit of advice I got was from my granddad in my early teens. I don't think he realized what he was doing, but he he um, really explains to me how uh, someone who's insecure, who might be being you know nasty to you, bullying or whatever, what he explained why they're doing it, and that 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 advice, that uh, really literal explanation of how insecurity works, completely changed my world, and it and it's something that I've applied ever since. And I think, so understanding when someone's really going at you, or, you know, in a, even in a business environment, it's often because they're scared because they don't have the answers and they're threatened by you for some reason. And there's this big bluster. You actually, you actually get underneath that and really quickly you'll find out that it's actually because they don't understand. Or, And I think um, I experienced that at a very young age and just realised I could immediately um, take, not say the power away, but you're not intimidated by it. And that piece of advice from my grand, he used to be a policeman, um, which is brilliant. And it's in good stead. And I, I'm saying it to my own children right now, you know, as soon as I can, just explaining to them that don't let people superimpose their insecurities on you because that's their problem. It's literally their problem. It's not yours. Yeah. What brilliant advice. Wow. Granddad sounded cool. I wish I yeah, wish he was, I, a, he was a legend. Was he? What was your granddad's name? Uh, he's, he was he was called Jack. So I was so I always called him Granddad. So I had to think there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And Dad Jack, very wise man. Wow, yes. that's, that's fantastic. But you're right, actually. Is it, you know, I think if we can put ourselves in the other person's shoes, and and when we, you know, it's social media is a great one, isn't it? You know, you get people that are quite can be quite vicious on social media, yeah. and they yeah. attack you in in a way, and. And it's nearly always about what's going on in their life. It's very rarely what you've said, but maybe you've triggered Definitely. them or something has happened. And and actually, you're right. Trying to not take that as a personal assault um, is is hard. But if you can do that and just think, well, hang on, where, why, why, where's this coming from? What's going on that might have caused this? It's uh, And it builds your emotional intelligence as well, doesn't it? Massively. And I think that's what happened to me at a young age as well, as I've got, I have built that up. So the type of leadership style you mentioned, Simon Sinek, is very on that, on that. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's dialed into your emotions and not using anything that's old school in the, the kind of way of thinking, really, definitely. 
yeah yeah and and listen i mean you're very in tune around around the whole sort of diversity equity and inclusion you described yourself as a fem feminist before we started record and i think that's maybe it's linked into that sort of fairness and equality and, and making sure that everyone has a has a place uh, and can add value and maybe that comes from from granddad jack actually yeah way back who knows? Yeah, yeah, I've never thought of that. Yeah, good, good, good on him. Yeah. <laughs> Changing the world. Talk about legacies. Still, his legacy yes. is still, still living on, right? Which is Yeah, nice. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. Amazing, amazing. And, and it, you know, Richie, you'll have also had probably some some less less favourable advice, some bad advice. Anything that sticks with you? Well, the, funny, the, the funniest one, which is an anecdote for how parents can be sometimes, was um, in my final year of university, I was in California surfing like you do. And I'd phoned home to my parents to say, oh, have you got my last year's exam results? My mum said, oh, you failed uh, your last kind of thing. You need to go back and reset. And I was about to fly to Hawaii with a group of Australians I was surfing with. And um, she goes, oh, why don't, you just, why don't you just not bother finishing your degree? Get on with it, you know, and go, go surfing, go to Hawaii, find your, you know, your future. And that's the worst bit of advice ever, isn't it? You can give a surf, surfing son... That's your work because I went home and did the reset, passed, got the degree, you know. <laughs> so, so you did, you did the opposite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's because that's what you do, isn't it? You always do the opposite of what your parents advise you sometimes. Well, I do anyway. But so, yeah, that was probably, <laughs> probably the worst bit of advice. But actually, in hindsight, it might have been good as well, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. I love that. That's fantastic. I can see you now there with, you know, your surf dudes and kind of... <laughs> and head down to here. I was like, come on, this is the future, you know? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. We're gonna, we'll have to see a, a before and current picture, Richard. Oh, yeah, I'll see what you figure out. Love it. Brilliant. And so, Richard, the podcast is called Brave, Bold, Brilliant. And obviously, we've been talking about so many examples of where you've demonstrated those values, which is absolutely wonderful. But when you hear that, what does it mean to you? Oh, amazing. Um, to me, it's um, be, being brave, being bold, being brilliant. It's always been the, the, the key thing if you can achieve all those things is being, I, I know it sounds, you mentioned meditation, but being centered in that moment. And I love that moment where you're not you're not letting anything in your past affect that moment where you can either excel in a boardroom or in a presentation or in a public speaking situation it's yeah it's just be bold be brave be brilliant don't let anything any of your hang-ups anything anybody's ever told you hold you back you can literally do anything if you focus and you believe in yourself and that's what I've that's what I've discovered over my life for sure wow what a way to end that is fantastic I love that I love that Richie honestly I could chat to you for hours days honestly you've been truly phenomenal I've really enjoyed our conversation but thank you you are brave bold and brilliant of course oh, amazing thanks very much I appreciate it. I've had a really good time talking to you it's been really fun hope you've enjoyed brave bold brilliant don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends and if you've enjoyed listening i'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review